0: Linnean. The Linnaean
1: Linnean Society. Society,
0: Society of
1: London
0: The Linnaean Society of London Linnaean Linnaean Future Future
1: Every year in autumn, 197 countries meet for two weeks to decide how the world will respond to the climate crisis. Like most international negotiations, for the layperson, these meetings are weighed down by bureaucratic language, technical texts, and back-channel negotiations. And at the end of this two-week conference, we will know countries' commitments to emission reduction, climate finance in terms of technology, and where will the money for loss and damage due to climate change come from, and what will carbon market mechanisms look like. This year, the Conference of Parties, or COP26, will be held in Glasgow, from November 1st, and the road to Glasgow has been long and tortuous. In this episode, we'll look at the history of these negotiations and how we got to the current COP questions. What made politicians first sit up and take notice of the scientific evidence for climate change that was piling up? Why was the Rio Earth Summit of 1992 such a watershed moment, and can we get there again? Mark Maslan, Professor of Earth System Science at University College London, helps us trace the history of past climate change meetings and the politics. What was the origin of the lack of trust between countries when it comes to climate change and the sharing of resources and responsibilities? This year has been an absolute eye-opener when it comes to experiencing climate change impacts. We have had floods, wildfires, extinctions. Can the Glasgow meeting deliver the leadership the planet needs so urgently? listen in. Looking in the past, when was the specter of climate change honestly and seriously acknowledged by politicians? And was there a piece of watershed evidence that made that happen?
0: So I think that the realization that global warming, as it was called in those days, was real and a threat was in the mid to late 1980s. And there are two, I think, watershed moments. There is 1988, when Professor Jim Hansen uh, sat in front of a Senate committee in America and said, look, this is how much the world is warming up. This is because of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. We're causing global warming. We need to fix it. Just the next year, in 1989, Margaret Thatcher, who was then the Conservative Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, stood up in the United Nations, and said in a 30-minute speech to all the actual international leaders, climate change, what's interesting is she actually used the word climate change a long time before anybody else did, climate change is real, we need to deal with it, and it is our responsibility to deal with this crisis. So we've known about climate change, its causes, the science behind it, and what we need to do about it for a good 30-odd years. The scary thing is within those 30 years the amount of human-produced carbon in the atmosphere has doubled. So obviously the negotiations haven't been going that well.
1: What were the most important cops in the past when it looked like perhaps the world leaders are on track and we could possibly tackle this in time? Obviously the 30 years haven't been great but were there moments in those 30 years when it looked great?
0: So there were key, I would say, moments in the negotiations which have been inspirational and important to the journey that we've gone on. First, wasn't really a COP meeting, but it was the Rio meeting in 1992 where all the leaders of the world got together and talked about the environment, about how we were dealing with uh, climate change, how we are dealing with biodiversity issues and pollution issues. And that was a really huge moment where you had George Bush Senior, the President of the United States, Margaret Thatcher and other world leaders saying, this is really important. We need to look after our planet. So I think that's a really good and important starting point. I think when we look at the COP meetings themselves, 1997, Kyoto is really important because that was literally only seven years after the first IPCC science report came out and only two years after the second one in 1995 that said here is all the science laid out. In 1997 the world leaders got together and they made a agreement which was all the developed countries were going to cut their emissions based on their 1990 levels. So they took the 1990 levels and then worked out they're going to cut it overall the developed world was going to cut by only five percent but it was a start the developing nations were then going to actually join negotiations later and then start cutting and that was the key moment where you had lots of agreement lots of people signing up and we had the first agreement so that was great except of course what happened was president bill Clinton. She went back to the United States with this agreement and because he did not have control, his party did not have control of the Senate or the House of Representatives, they didn't vote it through. And so therefore the US really never ratified Kyoto, so it was never on that path to cut, whereas Europe and other developed countries really started to think about how to go on that pathway. We then have to go to, I would say, a crisis, which was, of course, Copenhagen. And what happened in Copenhagen was that we had huge expectation, I would say even more than Glasgow, that something big was going to happen. The problem was that it occurred, 2009, it occurred a year after the financial crash. And so therefore there was this... Um, Feeling with world leaders that they had to deal with this global financial crisis and therefore could not deal or even think about climate change doesn 't help that Obama then came in at the last minute and basically went, yeah yeah yeah, we don't want any legal binding agreement we 'll just take the BRIC countries and we 'll talk to them, and we 'll do a power sort of like a sort of a chat, and we will sort it out uh, as world leaders. And we'll just have a pledge system. We'll just say, yeah, 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 we think it's important. We can do some cutting. Hugely problematic. I mean, the whole thing that happened in Copenhagen was that the developing world lost trust in the developed world. And just looked at these negotiations and said, well, you've just thrown out 10 years of negotiation because you don't want a legally binding target. It then emerged later that the NSA had been spying on everybody in the negotiations through their Dropbox, and therefore the Americans basically had been playing everybody off against each other and then came in and went, yeah, yeah, but we can sort it out. We'll be the great heroes. And it all then sort of flopped. They then had building, So each COP after that was just a rebuilding of trust, rebuilding. And there was lots of interesting stuff that went in underneath. So the whole deforestation and red plus all was actually being worked out during these cops, and then we have Paris and Paris is probably the watershed in two thousand and fifteen huge agreement whereby the countries actually agreed to make huge changes and actually to try to keep to two degrees Celsius. But one of the really interesting things is the small island nations and some of the developing countries worked the politics beautifully and so in the main statement it says the countries of the world wish to keep uh, climate change to under two degrees and our aspirational target is one and a half degrees amazing had never been mentioned before you know it's like and what happened there was then that let the scientist off the leash because it meant that ipcc said now Politicians want to know how to get to one and a half degrees, we'll have to write a report. And so in 2018, out comes a really amazing report, which is the one and a half degrees global warming report, which basically said to get to one and a half degrees, to keep it there, we will have to hit globally net carbon zero by 2050 and then have negative carbon emissions for the rest of the century. This and many other uh, activities going on started to put the net zero into the lexicon. And so, what politicians are now talking about not how much are we going to cut by from the 1990 levels, but they're now talking about when do we hit zero. <laughs> and that is a revolutionary change that was kick started by that Paris and hence carried on through and hopefully will be picked up by Glasgow and we can then move another step forward.
1: Do you feel that Glasgow can be placed at the level of the same trust and cooperative feeling that
0: driver was? So for me, what is really interesting about the last year and a half is the pandemic. So the pandemic you would have thought would have been like the financial crash. It would have meant that people were just focused on the pandemic. We can't worry about climate change that's in the future. Actually, the reverse has happened. What's really interesting is the amount of discussion, rhetoric, uh, negotiations about climate change is actually elevated. The public are much more aware of climate change. And I think this is because of the nature of the pandemic. When the pandemic hit, it basically told people really deep down in their gut two things. One, that a small change in northern China where... Uh, The biodiversity was being affected and a disease jumps from bats into humans suddenly can bring the whole world to its knees. Okay, so it suddenly made people realise that we are still very much part of nature and still very vulnerable. So that's the first thing. The second thing that the pandemic showed was when the chips are down and you have to deal with a major global issue, guess what? The only group that you can rely on is the government okay and different governments have done differently and some have done really well and some have not done so well and the other thing is you can look at your government and compare it with other governments go hang on i want that government you know that's a better way of governance and so what it basically has done is undermine the last 30 or 40 years of uh economic theory whereas neoliberalism says hey guess what guys markets no best. You know best No. Let let them have no regulation. Let them go. You know, sort of works perfectly. People have just turned around and gone. Hang on. During the pandemic, those companies that are supposed to know best, what did they do? Oh, please, sir. Can we have a handout? Because we don't know how to survive a pandemic. So when people see this and they see the bigger crisis of climate change, they suddenly realize that it's governments that are going to mandate. Governments that are going to encourage, subsidise, regulate to make companies do what they do really well, which is innovate and do things incredibly fast, help and support individuals lifting themselves up. And so I think we have a very different view of economics, politics and the global environment and climate than we did, say, a year and a half. It's very bizarre that a global pandemic has made us think in a different way about climate change. I also think that the third element is people are now seeing extreme weather events all the time. This is not, oh, look, that was terrible. There was a bad storm in sort of like Indonesia. No, already we've had record temperatures in Canada, five degrees warmer than they've ever had before. The idea of having to survive 49.5 degrees Celsius, just horrendous, you know, not not nice at all. We've had the floods in China. We've had floods in Germany. We've had flash floods in London where people have just lost everything because suddenly three months' rain decided to fall in an hour or two, you know. So... We're seeing this all around the world and people are suddenly going, do you know what? I'm not sure I really care what the papers are telling me because I think they might be biased, but perhaps the scientists have been right for the last 30 years. Perhaps it's about time we do something. I also think that the narrative about climate change is also changing, which is, and this is something I'm trying to do with my work and my books, which is it's not about fear and doom and destruction there is a huge amount of optimism there, and therefore we can actually look at improving everybody's life as well as at the same time we sort of save our planet.
1: Back to Glasgow. Um, what are the biggest questions as we go into the Glasgow cop with all the expectations?
0: So the biggest thing that we have to do at Glasgow is build solidarity. The reason being is if you think about it, we are still putting a huge amount of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Okay, The pandemic made a very small difference. And actually, the economies have grown back. So we're in the same place as we were in 2019, if not slightly worse. But we have to build solidarity because just for instance, say China throws everything at it and goes carbon neutral as soon as possible. And so Say they hit that by 2035. If the rest of the world keeps polluting and actually increases, that will mean nothing in terms of climate change. Because what I keep saying to people is the atmosphere does not care which country you live in, what political badge you wear, a tonne of CO2 in the atmosphere is a tonne of CO2 in the atmosphere. So, what we need to do is build solidarity because it's great that the three huge economic powers US, EU, and China for once are all on the same page and want to go to carbon net zero by 2050. And actually, in China's terms, it's in 2060. That's great. But we have to bring the rest of the world with us and we have to actually support rapid development, lifting people out of extreme poverty at the same time as we decarbonise the atmosphere. And so, again, it is not about individual countries. It is about Glasgow trying to say, we are the global community. We have to do this together. And actually, every single country matters in actually trying to reduce the amount of pollution that we're putting into the atmosphere. So I think what is really hopeful about glasgow is all the statements that are coming out now before we even really into that negotiation period so you have the united states that has completely changed its tone on climate change they want to half their carbon emissions by 2030 and then they want to go to net zero by 2050 and the interesting thing is that they are being really strongly helped by the global economy, because as Obama saw, and of course Biden has seen, the jobs growth and the economic growth in the green sector is huge. I mean, when we did a study uh, published a couple of years ago, we showed that there was something like 10 million jobs in the green economy in the United States, compared with 330,000 jobs in the fossil fuel industry. And also, if you want to actually build that sort of technological sort of like basis, you need to invest in it. And so that's what's going on at the moment. I think also the pandemic also shows that governments are not poor. If governments wants to sh- uh, throw trillions of dollars at a problem. Oh, yes, they can if they want to. So, again, boosting the economics, boosting jobs, et cetera, and reducing pollution all seems to align, particularly as now. Actually, renewable energy is cheaper than fossil fuel, even with the fossil fuel subsidies. And that's something else we need to deal with. So that's just America. You've got Europe and the UK both actually making huge cuts and are going on the same pathway, if not slightly faster than the US. And then the big one in September 2020, the pres- uh, sorry, the premier of China In the UN, virtually because it was a pandemic, stated that China would actually peak its emissions by 2030, but then hit net zero by 2060. And what's really interesting is two weeks ago, China started up the largest carbon trading scheme in the world. Internal, inside China, to actually produce this sort of like trading system to try to reduce carbon emissions as quick as possible and in the most efficient way.
1: Do you think UK is walking the talk or the promises that they have made in the past or is it weaker? Can, can it do better?
0: So the role of the UK in climate change is really interesting because we have always been a leader. And what I think people don't necessarily realise is that it doesn't matter what colour of government we have in, we have the UK Climate Change Act, which was signed by all MPs, I think only five uh, voted against it, in the uh, House of Commons in 2008. And this mandates that every government has to reduce the carbon footprint of the country. An interesting thing is different governments have then ratcheted it up. It was an 80% cut, then it was a 90% cut, and now the Boris Johnson's government switched to a net zero target by 2050. So it sets five-year targets of this is how much we can emit, then this is how much we can emit, and this is how much we can emit. And so therefore the government is sort of like corralled into having to do the right thing. Um, legally, and so therefore, they have great civil servants who are constantly working on good policies. Now, could we do better? Absolutely. Are there huge numbers of positive things that the government could do that would improve this markedly? Absolutely. Have they got joined up thinking and therefore doing certain things in the right way, not yet. And so therefore, we are at this state where we are leading Glasgow with the Italian government at the same time we have great pledges and ambition but many of us are feeling yes but you need to write the policies (laughs) you need policies and I think this is the most important thing about climate change climate change is no longer about the science okay the science is done and dusted really what it's about is policy makers and lawyers Because what we need is really efficient, good policies that actually help companies and people and the government decarbonize as quick as possible and allow people to do it in a fair and transparent way. And actually writing those sort of policies and making them work is unique to each country and each legal framework. Uh, But you need that expertise, and it's really interesting that quite a lot of the European regulations were written by British lawyers, which seems a bit sort of ironic, considering that we now are no no longer part of the EU. So I think the most important thing is that civil society has risen up and actually stated very clearly what the issue is. So, for example, you have Extinction Rebellion. sticking uh, themselves to trains but the thing is they are an interesting group because it's not like oh it's just a bunch of sort of like middle-aged hippies no there was an 82 year old sticking themselves to a tube train there were young people sort of like uh, protesting and doing all this incredible art in the middle of sort of like Oxford Street you know so again what's really interesting is that raises awareness yes it puts some people off But I think what's also been incredibly powerful, probably more so, has been the school strikes. Because what that was, was um, four and a half, five million young people at the last one before the pandemic struck, who decided to take a Friday off, strike from school and say, we're going to give up some of our education to go on a march and actually say to you, you need to change what you're doing. This is incredibly important. We understand the science. We've uh, listened. We know what needs to happen. Please change. And actually, that is a really powerful note because politicians, yeah, they may not listen to people. But when young people, future voters, future consumers and actually their legacy are basically saying, I'm sorry, you're doing this really wrong the idea of being a politician is you want to leave something behind. You know, you want to actually, people to go back and go, yes, they were a great prime minister or they were a great minister. When the youth are basically going, well, we're going to write the histories and by the way, you're rubbish at the moment, so please do better. There is that psychological thing with politicians, like, well, perhaps this is important. So I think that was incredible. And so those two together, plus the science Because you have to remember that the scientists have plodded away and keep publishing reports for the last 30 years. We keep harking on about it. We keep presenting. We keep talking to the media. And actually, with civil society, with academics and protesters all working together, we've got to the stage whereby politicians are now really listening. And yes... Glasgow will not go further enough. Okay? We all know that. Okay? The negotiations will never go further enough for what we need to do. And we can always turn around and go, that's awful. They haven't done anything. But I think what people forget is the negotiations are a process that goes throughout the year. And it's a 24-hour process. It's every day of the year, 365 days of the year. It isn't just the razzmatazz of that one meeting. And so as soon as Glasgow finishes, wherever we've got to, they'll start negotiating the next day for the next year's meeting and the next year. And so I think what we need to do is get to a level playing field, make sure we have solidarity, make sure that countries have pledged stuff. And then next year, pledge more, pledge more, pledge more. And we just keep that pressure up for the next 10 20 30 years until we actually get to net zero and that's really important i think it's also important that people remember that every country matters so people need to actually protest uh to vote if they are allowed to vote for um politicians who actually take their local national and global environment seriously because this is our life support system I've always likened it to having this big house with lots of people living in different rooms and they're all going around kicking all the furniture and trashing the house. And it's like, guys, Earth, we only have one, you know, despite billionaires trying to get to Mars, not going to happen. You know, we only have one Earth. So why are we kicking it to pieces? You know, this is madness. And when you think of it in that sort of human terms, you just go, yeah, it is a bit stupid. Why are we dumping all this plastic in the ocean? Why are we polluting the atmosphere? Why are we damaging the life support system? Or basically the only place we know that life exists in the universe. And it's like, bit stupid. Perhaps we should stop doing it. And again, I think that's where the revolution and the way of thinking and I think the evolution of humans has to come in because this is the century that we have to start thinking of us as a global species and i think and i say this in a very strange way that this the mobile phone makes that much easier because young people are know that they're connected to everybody they they basically realize apart from the extreme poor they can contact really anybody they want to in the planet it's a very small planet And we're all very connected. And the pandemic, as you said, has shown that we are vulnerable together. We are so connected and interconnected that small things in faraway places have big ramifications. If that's true, then why not actually build a society and an economy that actually values and looks after our environment, as well as trying to lift people out of poverty? And... Personally, uh, and this is something that I wrote in the book, um, How to Save Our Planet, The Facts, which is we can have this vision of the future. And because we're human and we are so good at creating new things, new ideas and things like that, if we have a vision of the future and we want to actually make it happen, there is no reason why we can't. And I think that's the frustration that young people have, which is politicians do not seem to have that vision of what an amazing human future we can have on our human planet. And I think that's the frustration. And that spills over, and I'm sure that in the protest that will be the frustration at Glasgow, when people go, yeah, OK, but we can see 20, 30 years down the line, we can do much better if we do it now. Come on. And I think that's sometimes the frustration. Politics and negotiations work much slower than we would like. Linnaean, Linnaean. Future, future. Future. future.